Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. And your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. Your divine, my divine. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. And your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. Your divine, my divine. I love a good invitation. That is one of those for me that brings me into worship. I think that is one of the essential opening elements of when we gather on Sunday morning or at any time. We have named the time to be precious and holy and special. It is, it always begins with an invitation to be present, to be with the people. But I also wonder. I wonder sometimes if we thought about what are we inviting ourselves into? What are we inviting others in with us to do? So this morning, I want to offer a reflection on why we gather in worship. This Sunday meeting in particular, of course, regularly created and shared, but in all the ways that we gather, all the ways that we have time set aside, A worship service is the central action and gathering of a religious community. It is that of this congregation. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Central. Boy, in this pandemic have I been working with the time zones uh, and learning about where our time is. And also we have the extra special moment of fall back. So thank you for joining us this Sunday as well. I hope you had a little extra sleep. In this day and age, because in this day and age, we are really finding out how we all gather in all the times and spaces, because some of us catch the recorded service at another time. But the Sunday morning service is, in its way, a fixed point and space and time around everything, around which everything else revolves. So today, let's examine the nature of worship and the religious service in our current context. Now, I'll offer part of why bringing this up now is that this year, um, my second year in ministry with you, our second year together in ministry, is kind of year one, part two. Ah, see, I'm not wrong. (laughs) In returning to be with each other in person in so many aspects of congregational life, particularly worship, we are picking up the threads of ministry that were interrupted or at least not fully addressed in the way they would have been if we could have been around each other when I first started here a year ago in August. And the first years of a new ministry in particular includes 
people getting to know each other's values and habits and histories and language. And part of what I did in this first year, intentionally in worship, and, and now as we're going into our second, is to develop a shared vocabulary, as well as listening to yours. And now, we'll begin with a first conversation on worship. As one of my colleagues said that Sunday morning worship is an ongoing, Sunday morning preaching is an ongoing conversation. So this is just one of many to come. Now, so today we'll have a little bit of language, a little history uh, of what worship means, a little vocabulary lesson too. We'll talk about how, a little bit about what worship means in our particular context right now in the state of the world, and then how we might go forward together. I have an invitation for you at the end of the sermon. Ultimately, what we consider in this moment, in worship in particular, but certainly in congregational life in general, is how then shall we live? Given all of our frailties, all of our wonders, the fact that we are, as human creatures, spectacularly mortal and finite, and yet we are the inheritors and living beings of star stuff. How then shall we live? I want to offer beginnings of a definition from my colleague, the Reverend Richard Gilbert. Uh, he's the author of uh, one of the older curriculums, some of you may know, Building Your Own Theology. Uh, but he talks about a Unitarian Universalist interpretation of worship in his book, The Prophetic Imperative, The Social Gospel in Theory and Practice. And he says, the church is a worshiping community, a religious community that deliberately and regularly gathers together to celebrate life in all its dimensions. Worship is understood as the celebration of life, as is the most generally accepted definition in Unitarian Universalist circles today. Worship derives from the Anglo-Saxon worth-sheep, pointing to and celebrating that which is of worth. It's kind of that simple, actually. Religion, as a word, is derived from the Latin religare. It means to bind together. And the form of this religious worship is called a liturgy, from the Greek word laos, or people, and ergos, work, literally meaning the liturgy is the people's work. All of this, he says, leads us to an understanding of worship as a binding together or a coming together of people to fashion ceremonies pointing to what they regard is of worth. So let me unpack that. That was a lot of different languages all at once. Some of us are working on English still, me too. So worship is a celebration that points out what is of worth. It, is, it points to our essential values, our ultimate priorities. And we'll do some more of that actually next week with looking at the formation of our sense of seven principles in Unitarian Universalism. Every moment in our principles when we turn to beginning to affirm the inherent worth of every person, when we encourage the search for truth and meaning, and when we wrap up those seven principles with realizing how radically connected we are with each other and all of existence, 
just by speaking those and remembering those, we are honoring what is of worth, what we value most. Worship in Unitarian Universalism includes elements of these values that are expressions of and aspirations of the multitude of theologies that are among us. So religion names how we are connected within a particular tradition or community. And liturgy, all the elements of the service, uh, are experienced by and created by the people. You have, in fact, your order of service, uh, if you took one today or if you have it electronically, that tells you the sequence of how we shall be engaged in worship. Now, this comes largely, our inheritance of this form uh, comes largely from our Protestant Reformation roots. So it was the study of scripture. It was the singing of hymns and other music. There was a sermon offering the interpretation of the word. We also had the liturgy that included the prayers and the opening and the closing and the responsiveness. Uh, in Protestant worship also would include the sacraments. You'd have confession, you'd have forgiveness, you'd have communion in that as well. Now, in Unitarian Universalism, we're a little bit less about the sacraments, I will say. But we certainly have, uh, but that's not true for all of us sometimes, and sometimes that is seasonal as well. But we certainly include the scripture, the scripture which may be ancient or modern, and the sermon which would be the interpretation of the scripture, the interpretation of the text, whether it be from the Bible, whether it be from poetry, whether it's the newspaper, or whether it's the world. But I want to pause here and uh, address the question that, as, as my spouse Patrick and I were talking about this last night, um, the question of well, why, why do we call it a worship service? Why do we call it a worship service? What is that? And I'm going to say, Patrick and I both were like, huh, we hadn't quite had that question before. Service. So why is this a service? So the definition of service is a series of actions. It is to be engaged. It is to be doing something. We call it a worship service because that's the kind of series of actions that it is. We talk about a religious service because it's the kind of event and gathering that a religious body um, might hold together. So it's kind of that simple. So the order of service is also the order of, it's the liturgy, but it's also the order of actions. That's why it's called the order of service. I also want to recognize uh, for some folks in Unitarian Universalism and in our congregation, in fact, have some real challenges with some of this religious language, um, particularly with the word Worship. For some people, worship implies um, kind of a, an unquestioning obedience to a larger guy deity out yonder. Something that we're obliged to um, and expected to be um, holding as more important or greater than us and more powerful and so on. Or there's any number of reasons why somebody might have a religious background that uh, would have them be, 
find worship to be difficult. And I want to recognize that and, and honor that. And I think that's partially why our obligation as in Unitarian Universalism, kind of our public service to the world, frankly, is to be able to kind of talk about religious language and what it means and not simply let it be held by those who have abused its meaning or who have harmed others with difficult or terrible theologies. And I'm happy to be having more conversations about that. I pretty much expect that I might be having some more conversations about that after this service, too. And that's okay. So worship is a dedicated, intentional time out of time. The service of it is the act of holding that time together. It's a time that's different than any other time in our lives, in our week, it's the effort to celebrate what we hold closest to us and that it merits a special designated moment. The worth of our the recognizing and honoring what's important to us and our great questions merits a dedicated time. It's part of a spiritual practice. But also, what we offer as our values is so dear and so challenging that it needs a designated time. A religious service, a worship service, is kind of casting an existential bubble around this hour to have the time we need to enter into the great questions and our great concerns within the hold of the gathered people. I love this idea of this time set aside, this time made precious and out of time. And in this moment, we get into those great questions. How do we care for each other? How shall we go and be of service, you know, offer our work in the world? How shall we wrestle with the great questions of why do terrible things happen to lovely and wonderful people that we know and we may not know? How shall we take up the moral questions of our time and age about oppression, about the climate, about our politics. How then shall we live? That takes, it really takes time to do that well. And what we do in the course of that time is not simply to wrestle with those questions or feed our souls, but to also come out at the end a little different than when we started. That if we take this time seriously, that we would be, that we would be transformed. Maybe just a little bit, maybe great leaps, but a little bit every week or every time that we gather. Now, Let me say a little something about worship in our time, in this context in particular. My colleague, the Reverend Elizabeth Stevens, whose doctoral work was on uh, trauma-informed worship, talked about this with Reverend Erica Hewitt as part of our UUA conversations. And uh, Reverend Elizabeth talks about how being part of worship in this time requires authenticity and vulnerability. 
Trauma is when something, something has happened to us, something difficult, violent, harmful, that disrupts how we understand the world, our existential presence in the world. And it is compounded, the experience of trauma can be compounded if we don't find a way to address what has been shaken at our core. It is the practice of being real is part of that. The Reverend Bill Sinkford said that the purpose of worship is to prove that we can tell the truth and survive. The purpose of worship is that we can tell the truth and survive. And what Reverend Elizabeth said is that it's the practice of telling the truth so we can survive together, together. Our gathering, our gathering is about helping each other co-regulate. So here's a little emotional intelligence language. That our coming together makes an enormous difference in our ability to moderate and handle all that is within us, all that swirls around us, all the too muchness that Amy was talking about in the story. There's a way in which, she says, somewhere on the other side of trauma, there's wisdom, there's gifts, there's the breaking down of barriers, there's wholeness, there's a deeper humanity, but we can't get there by ourselves. It absolutely requires that a community is there around us, that we have those connections. It is like this great web of which we are a part, that existential web of existence. That web itself does the work. She goes on to remind us that we are a long way from a country that is faithful to our ideals. Let me repeat that again. We are a long way from a country that is faithful from, to our ideals. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. So we're going to have more trauma as we are on that journey. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I don't think that's a surprise but it's going to get worse before it gets better. And there is no more important work than helping folks metabolize trauma and stay human. Come back again and again to the best parts of ourselves. She says, that's what worship is for. And that's what worship right now is the focus of, focus of religious community, focus of the congregation. That is what the church is for right now is helping people stay human in the face of inhumane circumstances. I'll say again, helping people stay human in the face of inhumane circumstances. It really touched me uh, as we were, people were starting to gather back in person over the summer and throughout since then, how much People missed each other while being so separated. You know, coffee hour was like the best thing on Sunday morning, no matter what I did for worship sometimes. Right? I'm okay. I get it. I get it. I know that. And you know that. Sometimes it is the thing you need. 
we get to help each other stay human. What a gift. What powerful ministry. So to my fellow co-regulators, because let me tell you, this pandemic's been hard on me too, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, all of us. <laughs> witness, we get a witness back there. So to my fellow co-regulators, because you are, I have an invitation. I really want us to be in this, in this moment, in this kind of year, year, year one, part two, we have an opportunity to be kind of thinking about and reshaping and crafting worship together. We have a chance to build something a little bit different, a little bit new, as well as love what has always been loved. So I offer an invitation. We started having a worship planning conversation back a few weeks ago. I want some more. We need more involvement and more people. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we can help each other out. But I really want to make sure that this, you know, the liturgy, the worship, is the service is the work of the people. And, and I want to extend that invitation to make sure that you really know that is true. Because those, the ideas and the sparks and the music and the stories and uh, the questions and the angles, I don't presume to know. I can't know every possible potential and explore all the opportunities. We have to do this together. So I want to invite you to come and join me in being part of our conversation, our ongoing building conversation about worship, about the service that we create together, and going forward. Oh, I hear there's Christmas Eve coming. Boy, let me drop a hint there. We're going to figure out something for Christmas Eve. So let us open our full, entire souls to the moment we have together. Let us worship. As, as Ken Patton reminds us, let us be with those who have learned to fall in love with life, to support those whose faith in life is broken or wounded. Let us worship, and indeed let us learn to live in love. Amen. <laughs>